You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Well, um, she waited up for me to get home, so that was a good thing. Uh, but it, it was it was it was one of the first games she's missed um, and didn't go to since we've been here. I think it is the first game, actually. And um, so, you know, she says she can see what's happened a lot better on TV. So I got coached up quite a bit um, when I got home. Two more to start the back. Um, I don't know how, <laughs> how you going to deal with not having your phone. <laughs> you, you know, you're of that generation, you know, but I gotta, gotta have it. <laughs> you know, I think practice, you know, the one thing that, um, you can do in practice and get away with is not have to play with the right time clock to use your uh, terminology in, in terms of the rush is not going to be as quick. Um, you can hold the ball. You can try to figure things out. But then in the game, that all changes. So I think to create circumstances in practice where, you know, you have to get the ball out on time and you're constantly talking about getting the ball out on time. I think that's, that's really, really important. Um, you know, for guys to um, develop that sense of time clock that, and it's the timing of the play. Uh, you know, sometimes when you hold the ball, the play's open for a second, then it closes. So you got to throw the ball on time. That's very, very important. And we got to keep working on that. Yeah, well, we practice it all week. Um, discipline eye control is one of the most important things in playing football. And like everybody grows up watching the ball. I've talked about this before. So that's how you watch a game. But when you're playing a game, you have specific keys and things to look at. Like if the guard pulls, it doesn't matter which way the back goes. Your key says go this way. When they run a slider, you got to know when you got to fall back and when you don't. All right. So. You know, we just got to keep working and working and working on those things so that um, and, and I think communication, you know, helps that. And, and, and you know, I, we're constantly on the secondary to communicate because if they communicate, it makes it easier for the linebackers to know what, how and when the, and what they're supposed to do. So, you know, Jihad makes a lot of plays and he's developing nicely at the position. Uh, but experience is going to be critical for him to continue to grow and develop. All right, thank you. Nick Saban, uh, that was him yesterday with his weekly news conference addressing the media post-Pacific oh, post victory over Mississippi State and going into A&M. It's Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Justin Jones. There were a couple of those quotes that I wanted to address, Lars. But first of all, you had a little time off. Maybe you took Charlotte, little puppy, to the lake or whatever. You know, I'm just kidding. But we all know why. It's because you're in borough distress. <laughs> yes. Uh, Joe Burrow is clearly not 100% for the Bengals, who are obviously my team. And, uh, man, I'll just be very brief here. 
he, he suffered a calf strain first day of training camp. And everyone who I talked to uh, didn't think it was going to be that significant of an injury. It's turned out to be very significant because, one, part of Joe Burrow's game is uh, his maneuverability in the pocket, creating plays off script. And uh, that's a huge aspect of his game, just like any quarterback. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, if he can't run, he's not Patrick Mahomes. And uh, Joe Burrow right now is not Joe Burrow. Um, so uh, so Burrow, so one, he, he can't move in the pocket. Two, he uh, is afraid to really thrust that, uh, that right foot into the ground when he is throwing. Right? A right-hander, when you're throwing the ball, you, uh, your, your back foot is your plant foot, and all of your velocity, or a great part of your velocity, is generated from that right calf muscle. And, uh, and Joe just simply won't do that. He's leaning forward as he throws, and so he doesn't have much velocity, and he's, this causes his throws to sail. So another one of his hallmarks is his accuracy, and he's just not right. So he can't run and he can't throw, and he's a sitting duck back there. You should see some of the alignments that the Tennessee Titans, it was amazing. Matt, I've never seen anything like it. They didn't have anybody over the center or each guard. And when Joe was in shotgun and uh, empty backfield, so they didn't have anybody over the center or the guard, and their defensive ends were to the outside of the tackles. Because they knew Burrow was not going to be able to run up the, uh, he couldn't run straight. I mean, all he, if he if he just if he could have ran, he could have like you know gone for thirty yards. Uh, but he can't run, and defenses know that, and so they just put everybody on the outside and collapse the pocket. And so he got absolutely brutalized against the Titans. You know, I'm a huge Zach uh, Taylor fan. Uh, you know, he's a Nebraska guy like me, and and uh, but you know. I, I don't think he should be playing. Uh, he's just, if you can't protect yourself, you shouldn't be playing. And he, and he clearly cannot protect himself. More on the Bengals network as we get back <laughs> to Alabama and talking about one of the things I wanted to bring up and, and why we ran those quotes. It's fine. I know we, if anybody listens to this show, then more than 10 or 15 minutes and doesn't know what a big Bengals guy and Nebraska guy you are, and a volleyball guy, then uh, they're probably honestly listening elsewhere. But no. There's your update on Joe Burrow. Now, hey, you asked. I, I asked <laughs> kiddingly. And then you also said, let me give you a brief update. And a minutes later, we're back to talking to Alabama. Okay. All right. All that aside, one of the things that Nick continues to be asked about are snap problems. Lars, go into detail. <laughs> Here, please, tell me, what's the problem? These guys have been playing this position, I'm assuming, most of their lives. Nobody operates under center anymore, un unless you're Navy or Army. Uh, how come teams, and, and let me tell you, let me, let me really, really tell you, Alabama's not the only one that has this problem. It seems like a pretty simple movement. Why is it suddenly more visible and they're having bigger issues with it? Have the defenses figured something out? How would that be? Well, remember when Chuck Knobloch, the second baseman for the Yankees, couldn't make the throw from second to first? I mean, I think it, it, it's, it's mental. Like, you know, Alabama, early in Nick Saban's tenure, they would recruit the best kickers in the country. They get to Alabama, and Nick Saban's watching them, and what happens? Can't hit a 30-yard kick. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I think there's, there's something... 
you know, it's it's the stress of uh, of of wanting to be perfect, right? And uh, and you know, it just happens in sports. I mean, I don't really know. I I don't have a great explanation. Do you? No. Um. That. Are they lining up on the center differently? I don't think so. I mean, no. if that were the case, wouldn't they have been doing it, you know, 15 years ago when they first started using it? Um, I guess it is a mental thing, but at what point do you stop letting it be one guy's mental problem and then net, let another guy try? Alabama's got to have a back or back backup. And uh, all these other schools that are having issues, they seem to stick with the same. Maybe that's my question. Why aren't they swapping a snapper? Yeah, um, it was amazing that, yeah, I mean, Seth McLaughlin, he's a really good player, I think, but uh, another bad snap against uh, Mississippi State. And, hey, it's a tough environment there. I, I still don't understand how those cowbells are legal. I really don't. I don't get it. You should it, have it, heard me and Justin yesterday. Yeah. It, what, what, what was your... It's yeah, got to go. Well, it's got to go. It, yeah. I can't imagine what it's like. <clears throat> Actually, I've been there, but they weren't playing Alabama. Uh, I think Mississippi State was playing a UA, UAB when I went over there. It was loud. It was obnoxious. But when you're playing Alabama and you're on national TV, my biggest it, my biggest issue with it now is when you're watching the TV game and the opposing team gets to the line, in this case Alabama, on a third down situation, they start in unison with those bells, and it spikes the audio on national TV, and the announcers pop. And you can't really hear them, and it disrupts the game in the stadium and when you're watching it. And hey, Commissioner Sankey, love you. You are the man. But it is time for the SEC to stop this. You know what? Yeah, it's it's not um, sportsmanlike. You know, it's it's not fair. And uh, and and look, they put the onus on the fans to not ring the cowbell when the team is uh, at the line of scrimmage give me a break i mean the fans are no no that, that, it's just it's just crazy and uh it, what are they gonna do kick out seventy thousand people with cowbells i, I just uh I, it, it really bothered me and i you know i've been watching games uh at, at mississippi state and starkville for a long long time just like probably the vast majority of our listeners but it, it seemed louder on Saturday night than usual. And also they were not stopping when Alabama would approach the line of scrimmage uh, as, you know, as per the mandate. But again, how are you going to police that? The only way to do it is. The referee has every bit of power. If he thinks it is extended past their time to ring the bell. I wonder what flag that would stop it for the moment. But what what? they could do is just stop it altogether. I wonder why the referee didn't warn the crowd. Like, you get one warning, and then it's a 15-yard penalty on your team. Um, But, you know, I guess that could induce Alabama fans to (laughs) go into the crowd and and, uh, ring the cowbells as loud as they can as the team approaches, or as the team's at the line of scrimmage. But I I agree. The answer is uh, no more cowbell. (laughs) All right. Just quickly, think about it. What would be the equivalent if other teams could have a noise-making device? Like if you were at LSU, could you get all those bells and whistles from Mardi Gras 
and let them start doing it? Maybe that's the answer. Other schools retaliate with their own noisemakers, and then the SEC has to eliminate all of them, and that way Mississippi State is not feeling picked on. Wow, what a deep dive into cow blank. <laughs> uh, yeah. Guys, you know it, 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 yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You know what I think, though, is just more impressive. Like, Mississippi State has these cowbells, but when you talk about teams like A&M in the 12th man or the 12th man up in Seattle or Kansas City, that's just so much more impressive when you have the crowd using their voices to create disruption and noise. I mean, we've seen it here at Bryant-Denny used plenty of times, but when the cow, it's just frustrating. It's really frustrating. Yeah, it made the game hard to watch frankly and uh and i think that contributed to alabama looking uh flustered early in the game and um and and you know what playing on the road in the sec is not easy to begin with no matter where you are but in in this type of atmosphere where you can't even hear your even i was gonna say hear yourself think but uh it it is it, it it creates an environment that you can't replicate in practice and, you know, it's just, uh, to me, it's not fair, right? It's unsportsmanlike and, uh, and something needs to be done about it. But hey, it, in the end, uh, it didn't really affect Alabama that much. I think uh, the fans and, and media members are more annoyed by it than probably the players. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. I agree. And let's hope that uh, this is getting back to Birmingham, Alabama. And or, but you know what would be cool if Mississippi State would self. Oh wait a minute, wait a minute. What am I thinking? They're not going to stop because it's a sportsmanlike thing to do. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of sportsmanlike, uh, later on the show because we got a great lineup. I want to talk to you about Storm in the Field. Uh, it happened again this time when Ole Miss managed to stave off LSU. Uh, this is a great rivalry, but it's an in-conference game. It's two ranked teams, but it's not storm storming the field worthy. And storming the field is somebody's going to get hurt. Little girl got clocked I've, in the head. I, I've, it's just I've, I've been saying for a long time somebody's going to get killed. Well, I mean, not in that situation like we saw uh, with the LSU player, but um, you can't blame the LSU player, Matt. You can't. The fan, the fan is uh, yelling uh, obscenities, running at him. I don't know. The, the video I saw, I just don't think. Uh, well, we can go into a deep dive on this at some point. But we have been consistent, both you and I, in for basketball and football. We got to, we got to somehow stop the storming of the field because somebody's going to get really, really hurt. Nick Kelly of the Tuscaloosa News is joining us on the other side of the break. Uh, The one and only Fox Sports Tim Brando will join us in the second hour, as will the president of the Talladega Super Speedway, Brian Crichton. And, uh, man, that's that's the lineup and the pitch. And guess what? Postseason baseball starts in a couple hours. So I'll get into that, too. Braves don't play. They're not a wild card team. They'll play. They'll play the winner of Miami and Philadelphia. Please, Miami, win the series. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, brought to you by Haley Sansing, Union Home Board.
Are you- Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A very warm afternoon. The sky mostly sunny, the high at 89. Clear tonight, the low 61. And the weather stays warm and dry tomorrow and Thursday. A good supply of sunshine both days. Highs between 86 and 89 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 82 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Tide interviews brought to you by the Bama broker, Laura Lee Thompson. And we appreciate her contributions and the Advantage Realty Group as well. 802 is your code number this hour. Go to the Tide app, 100.9. Our guest from the Tuscaloosa News is Nick Kelly. Nick, appreciate you taking a moment to join us really quick, or not really quick. Tell us how you are. I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? It's great. Uh, and we were just into a lengthy conversation about cowbells. Is it time for the SEC to step in and do something about it? Because not only is it difficult in the stadium, but, Nick, I know you were there, but I was trying to watch it on television, and it was very disruptive to the audio of the broadcast. What do you think? Well, I'll say we do not need more cowbell. I'll start with that. Um, we might need less. Uh, I'm, I tweeted that like when we were there two years ago, and I got a bunch of angry Mississippi State fans in my mentions. Um, like, it's a fun tradition, so I don't want to knock that because it is fun. Um, but it's probably not reined in enough um, because, yeah, it's, it's very loud. It's obnoxious. Uh especially during moments where it shouldn't be like that. Um, because, you know, they talk about the, the cutoff of, uh, I forget the exact uh, cutoff time, but, you know, they have the parameters, so to speak, but it's not really followed that closely. So I think more action needs to um, happen, and maybe it's something that if, a, if you can somehow find a more serious consequence for it, I don't know what that looks like, but, um, yeah, I think it could be raining a bit. What are uh, just your your big sort of takeaways from uh, the game on Saturday night? And uh, maybe start with uh, Jalen Milrow and his play and uh, development moving forward. Well, I think it was his best game. Um, and now he didn't have to pass a ton, but I still think you can call it his best game. I mean, his accuracy was, I think, 83% was his completion percentage. So he looked more comfortable in the intermediate throws, which is a big area for improvement for him. Uh, or an area he needs to improve in. And then he also, I mean, of course, running football, he, he was just dominant, which is not nothing that we didn't know he couldn't do, but it still is fun to see. Uh, I mean, when that guy takes off, there were literally two defensive backs, I believe, standing way far ahead of him. They could have gotten him if they wanted, but he ran right by him. He split him. Um, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's not easy to do. I mean, he's just a phenomenal athlete. I think we know that. We knew that, but that game reminded us of that. But as a passer, I think he showed some signs of improvement. And it's, you know, obviously he's not a Bryce Young. It's going to take him a little bit more time. But slowly but surely, he's getting better. <laughs> so we'll see if – and also he had no turnovers. And so that, that was big. 
Um, and so we'll see if that can continue this week against A&M, which I think will be tough. But I think a lot to be encouraged by, by Jalen in that win over Mississippi State. Now he's just got to keep stacking good performances. The offensive line has just gotten better and better at just dominating the line of scrimmage, especially since the Texas game. But there's one single issue that continues to pop up, bad snaps. How do you stop that? How do you evaluate it? I don't, you know, is it a mental thing? I mean, it's a great question. And if I had the answer, I'd probably be working in that building and helping the center. But because you know, I don't think Nick Saban has to answer at this point. Um, it might be mental to an extent. It might be similar to kicking a little bit. I mean, I, I'm going to call on not the same thing whatsoever, but back in uh, my my high school football playing days, I, I played some center. And, yeah, w- when you can't snap, like, it gets to you mentally. Um, I remember I had a few issues early on in, like, ninth grade where I couldn't get a good shotgun snap down or an accurate one. And it messes with you because then you, you're worried about that. You don't block as well. It gets worse and worse. And so I'm sure some of that's going on with Seth right now. Again, I don't want to pretend like I played center at the college level. But um, but just my limited experience, like, yeah, the, the mental aspect can certainly play a role. Um, maybe it's similar to kicking that way where – Obviously, guys can do it because that's the thing. This isn't Seth's first time playing Power Five Division One football. I mean, he's an experienced center and he's proven he can do it well. And snaps have not been an issue until this year. Um, so, if it's partly mental, maybe there's some of that. I mean, it's hard to know just the uh, the different injuries or bumps and bruises that pop up during the year that could affect things. I mean, it just it could be a variety of things. But I think they're trying to just be confident with them and just stick with them and help them kind of push through it. So, um, but yeah, they can't, it hasn't cost them big time yet, but if you're in a close game, like I expect this week's game to be against A&M, you can't afford mistakes like that because, okay, yeah, if you have what happened in this past game where it cost you a third down opportunity, that's the best case scenario. Worst case, you turn it over. And I should say, well, actually, the best case scenario is you do what they did against Middle Tennessee and they scored a touchdown, but, uh, <laughs> But but essentially, like, if you have a bad snap and you can't make a play of it, best-case scenario is that you don't turn it over. Um, but they might turn it over if it keeps up. And so whatever the answer is, I, I don't know that it's super clear to me, and I don't know that it's super clear to them, but they're trying to stick with Seth and remain confident in him because I, I'm sure some of it is mental. And them giving him votes of confidence, I think, is important in that. Nick, uh, what was your evaluation of the Tommy Reese and uh, his offensive coordinator and the play calling and just sort of a big picture, like how the play calling has evolved uh, from game one to where we are now? Well, quarterback runs have been involved more, and that's, I think, pretty easy to spot. And I think it's been smart because that gives you an advantage in the run game. I mean, forget Jalen Milrow. Forget that he's a fantastic runner and that he'll run guys over and all those things. If they had a guy who wasn't that good of a runner but could move a little bit, I think it's still worthwhile to involve more quarterback runs as Tommy has because it gives you an extra blocker. And in the numbers game and in, in, in run uh, in run to rush defense, if, if they have an advantage against you in numbers, like that's difficult because a lot of times you have to hope that the running back beats the one defender that you can't account for in a blocking scheme. Uh, so by having the quarterback run, that gives you a blocker and so that essentially frees you up. So I think that's been really smart. Um, as far as other play calling, to, <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, there, there's part of me that uh, isn't elite enough of a football mind to truly break it down for you. But but I do think that 
They're spreading the football around. They're finding different guys in the passing game. I think in a lot of ways, when you have uh, some of the, the short passing game, I think that's really important, especially when the offensive line is struggling. Also, they, they're finding the tight end more, which to me is huge because these tight ends are good. I mean, Amari Nyblack is a mismatch, and every time he gets the football, good things happen, even with C.J. Dupree a little bit too. Um, and so I think Tommy Reese has been looking to them more and finding more ways to get them the football. I think that needs to continue. And so a couple of good things that are happening uh, in my mind that Tommy has adjusted well with, and I think they need to continue doing. Does Alabama have to throw it a little bit more um, at Kyle Field? I, I don't see Alabama going through the season, the remainder of the season, completing ten passes and winning every game. <laughs> no, yeah, they're definitely going to have to. They're definitely going to have to throw it more. Um, part of that, I think, was because of Mississippi State's defensive makeup. Um, they saw an opportunity to run more, and it worked. But A and M, their rush defense is better than their passing defense. Their passing defense is pretty darn good too. I mean, their defense as a whole is good. So you're going to have to be uh, creative. You're going to have to have different ways to try to beat them. You're going to have to use certain plays to set up other plays. So, yeah, you're definitely going to have to pass it more, and I think we'll see that. And I think this pass game is more of a anomaly that way, just them seeing a, an advantage they could have against Mississippi State's defensive front by running it more. Heading, heading to uh, the game this weekend in College Station, um, what are your – if you're – Nick Saban, what's what's your biggest concern? Uh, is there a certain position group? Is it uh, you know still the, the continued development of, of Jalen? Uh, what what do you think is uh, keeping Nick up at night this uh, this week? Probably the offensive line. They look a lot better against Mississippi State, no doubt. But A and M might test that offensive line the most they've been tested so far. Maybe maybe about the same as Texas. Maybe not as, but it's going to be up there. Um, this pass rush for A&M, I, I think I saw some stat again I have in front of me, but uh, 14 sacks last two games or something crazy like that. I mean, it, there's uh, the pass rush there is, is legit. And you combine that with an offensive line that has struggled at times with that, that's maybe not a great combo. Uh, so that could be a problem. Now, the offensive line looked better for Alabama. So that, that's a good sign. It's encouraging. It could be better. I mean, there, there's a, a play where I saw Caden Proctor pick up a twist really well, and he wasn't doing that early on. And so I think that there's encouraging signs there, but if, if there's a area that I would be concerned about, it's the offensive line against a really good pass rush that Texas A&M has. Um, but also Jalen. I mean, he had a really good game, like we talked about, against Mississippi State in terms of taking care of the football, um, which is key. But this is going to be a huge stage. It's going to be a tough place to play, a better defense. And if he can avoid making mistakes, it's going to help. But obviously he's had a turnover in all but one of his power five starts. And so I think that um, there's reason to, to wonder what he's going to do. And so this game will be a very telling game of, Hey, if Jalen really is improving, we'll see it. If not, then we're going to see that too. So I, to me, those are the two biggest areas that I'm watching going into this game. Nick Kelly from the Tuscaloosa news is our guest. Let's uh, we talk tight ends and they are an important part. And, um, all of them can catch and run, but Nye Black, he can be somebody special. Is is he breaking out as the lead receiver here? Didn't see much of Burton. Um, you're still expecting Brooks to pop up. Or is it just going to be wide receiver by committee? At this point, it looks like wide receiver by committee. I mean, I think Jermaine Burton is their, their top guy at this point just because of the deep ball threat he's been. Now, is he a true speedster like we've seen like with the Jason Williams two years ago? No, but... Um, he's proven to be pretty solid on deep balls. Um, but 
yeah, I think we're not seeing these these crazy big passing numbers. Um, we probably won't see those huge numbers from one sole receiver. It's a bit of a by committee, like you said, kind of ride the hot hand. But as far as the tight ends, to me, get them the football as much as you can because they're a complete mismatch. Nye Black was great when he was targeted against Mississippi State. So keep going after them. <laughs> And uh, find ways to get them open because they're going to be hard to tackle. They're going to be hard to, to cover. Um, but I think you keep spreading the ball around because that's, I think, advantageous for the offense as a whole. Nick, is there uh, any scenario where we see Ty Simpson play in this game? Or is this, uh, is this now uh, Jalen Milrose team? I mean, to me, this is now Jalen Milrose team um, because I think if if you're talking about purely based on play, I mean, the obvious scenario where we see him would be if there were an unfortunate injury at jail no row. Um, but purely based on play, I don't think that you yank a guy unless, unless he's just downright awful, unless he's, you know, got five turnovers in the first half or just something crazy. Um, because if part of why I think coach Saban named jail in the starter when he did is you need that, you need to give a guy a vote of confidence. Um, I, I talked to a few, quarterbacks a couple weeks ago a former tie quarterbacks a couple weeks ago and they just talked told me about like once you get named a starter like you can play a bit more relaxed you can play a little bit more free because you know that one mistake and you're not yanked um and if, if that's the precedent you establish with oh jalen threw one interception or two interceptions and he's gone i mean that's everyone's going to play tight then so that's not that's not advantageous to you to do that um now if he's again if he's playing horribly like, like he just can't get anything going. It's just, it's just bad, bad, bad. Then maybe, but again, I think you have to think long and hard before you do that because it, it establishes a precedent of, hey, if you don't, if you have a mistake or two, you're going to get yanked, and and I don't think that's a good thing to do for these guys who are trying to get better and trying to learn. So, um, yeah, I, I would be surprised if we saw Tyson at any point. Um, but crazier things have happened. But I think at this point, Jalen's their guy, and they're going with them. Nick, uh, people are now talking about this Alabama defense in, in the same vein as 09 and other years where Alabama just dominated on defense. And it's it's hard to argue. Is it one of the better ones? Is it the best of the nation? I can't really find a flaw in it. I think it is one of the better ones, especially in recent memory. Um, now, I think it's somewhat unfair to measure it against defenses of – all time for Saban here at Alabama because it's just a different offensive game. And I think most of us know that. Um, so defensive success maybe doesn't look the exact same to me. You almost can't go based off yards anymore because guys are going to give up yards. They're going to give up plays between, you know, the, the, uh, the 20, so to speak. But to me, a great defense shows up in the red zone um, and limits touchdowns. Um, you might give us field goals, but if you can limit scores, uh, for six points, that, that's the big thing. And this defense is doing well at that. Um, but you're, you're right. There aren't a lot of weaknesses. I mean, the defensive line uh, maybe isn't as dominant as some of those great teams they've had. Um, but the linebacking core, there's a lot to like there. I mean, the, the edge rushers they have right now in Braswell and Turner are fantastic. I mean, Dallas Turner's having a season that's not far off of the neighborhood of Will Anderson. Um, no, Will Anderson's 2021 season was – he, he essentially, if you if – you, break it down to a per-game basis, was a little bit better than what Dallas Turner is doing right now. But Dallas Turner right now, statistically, is having a better season than Will Anderson did a year ago. Um, 
So he's playing great. I mean, the inside linebacker play, obviously Deontay Lawson's really key. They need to get him back um, because he's very, uh, very good player. But um, there's a lot to like about Jihad Campbell and Trez Marshall as well. And Kendrick Blackshire's look good. Um, the secondary's, I think, fantastic. And so there's there's a lot to like about this defense. And if this team's gonna gonna win, gonna win the West, going to make it to Atlanta, going to uh, make it to the CFP. It's going to be riding that defense and an offense that can make plays, but needs to get more consistent. So, um, yeah, this defense is finally living up to what we expected. Uh, like Texas week two is a really tough test for a group that was, again, second se- second game of the season. And, and Texas might very well be the best team in the country. Uh, I don't think that's completely out of the question. I mean, it's for sure to me top five without a doubt, but and so that was a tough offense to go against, especially game two. But this defense, I think now that it's got a few more games under its belt, more experience. I think we're really seeing what we thought this group was going to be. Nick, I know you have to run in a second, and thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, just another big picture question for you. We're a little bit more than a third of the way through the season. Uh, to you, you're covering this team day in, day out, and do uh, such a, an excellent job for the Tuscaloosa News. Um, what's your biggest surprise? What surprised you the most? Great question. Uh, well, first off, thanks for the kind words, but maybe the fact that the offensive line isn't hasn't been as dominant as we really thought because it wasn't just, okay, yeah, they were talking a big game, and obviously that was easy and fun to hear from them, but I really thought they were going to be quite solid just because of the experience you have, the, the size, the strength you have up front. Um, that surprised me, but they're coming to form a little bit. So I'll go with another thing because I think that was one of the more obvious elements. I'll go with another option, and that's for me, the receivers. Um, I didn't necessarily think they were going to have a group in in the neighborhood of, you know, Jalen Waddle and Jerry Judy and that group that they had. That, I mean, because they just had some insane receiver play. Um, but I, I really thought that they were going to have an improved group from a season ago, and maybe it is, but not as drastically as I thought it was going to be just because I thought what everything I heard about Malik Benson coming into the season was that he could be the next electric receiver for Alabama. And he's contributed. He's made some plays. He's been solid at times. Um, but I haven't really seen him make big plays. And that's kind of surprised me some. Um, and, and I thought, you know, I just, that group as a whole is going to be more effective than it has been. Um, again, it's not a bad group. It's just, I thought, Hey, maybe, maybe that was the optimistic side of me that was thinking that this group was going to be uh, really good. Um, but I don't think they've been quite as good as I thought they're going to be. Um, so that's maybe surprised me a little bit so far. One thing that surprised me as we let you roll out here is uh, <laughs> the lack of playing time for Justice Haynes. You got any insight on that? I mean, it has surprised me a little bit too, but again, he's a freshman and, and you've got some, I mean, look at Roy Dell and Jace have played quite well uh, recently and those senior guys, they trust. And, and so I think that's an element of it. Um, I don't have a special insight as to why. I think that naturally people are thinking that uh, it's something that Justice Haynes has done or hasn't done. Um, but I think also we knew that running back room was stacked. Um, could we see more of them soon? Yeah, potentially. Um, but I, you're right in that I thought we were going to see more of them really on. But then again, he's got, he's got three guys in front of him that we knew that group was talented, deep, uh, and good overall. So... Um, yeah, that is a little surprising, but maybe not. I don't know if there's some huge reason behind it. Well, I don't think there is, and, and the point was made last week on this show that uh, you've got two really good, as you mentioned, senior running backs, and that room gets a lot smaller when they graduate. Thank you for your time, mm-hmm. Nick. How can everybody catch up with you? you got to 
um, excuse me, I was going to say Twitter. How about X? <laughs> I, I'm still saying Twitter, so you're all good. Uh, yeah, you follow me on, on Twitter, X, at underscore Nick Kelly. Um, check out our work in Tuscaloosa News. Myself, Chase Goodbread, uh, TuscaloosaNews.com. All kinds of uh, content there. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you join us. So. Great, great stuff. Thanks, Nick. Talk to you next week or maybe sooner. I don't know. All right. See you, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. All right. You bet. Nick Kelly of the T-News, as we wants to call it. Now, the newspaper at your doorstep. I think T-News still does that. What if they deliver? And, well, we'll see. Hey, uh, when we get back, got a couple other things we want to talk about. TV ratings, uh, ratings baseball starting in about an hour. Hey, all is good the neighborhood on Big Doom Sports. Sorry about that. Sports Talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. Lars, this is one of my favorite times of the year because we get the best of postseason baseball. You are smack dab in the middle of the college football season. And, of course, keeping up with the Packers and the NFL. And the Braves do not play. The Braves have home field advantage throughout the National League playoffs, okay? Let's throw that out there uh, because they had the best record. Um, but the Dodgers are not far behind. And this afternoon... We got ball games. You want to come over and watch the baseball, Lars? I know that's exactly what you wanted to. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and what you just said is why, to me, or part of the reason why, October is absolutely the greatest month of the year. And also, uh, also basketball the, 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 the weather, uh, the leaves changing. I mean, it's just everything. I, I, I love October. I love, love October. Uh, and uh, the reason I named my uh, one of my girls Autumn because it's one of my favorite words in the English language and what it evokes to me, at least. Uh, and just a lot of it is what you just said. But, uh, okay, give us a quick overview of, uh, of where things stand with Major League Baseball. Like, uh, explain it to me as if, uh, in which as I am, I, am uh, I, I, I don't know much about baseball. I don't follow it as closely as you. So but just a quick overview of everything. And obviously the Braves are the favorites to win this whole thing. Well, they are. And um, today, wild cards are being played now. You'll play it down to four, and then you play uh, to get to two, and then you have the NL and the ALCS. But today, you got the Rangers at Tampa. Very interested in this Texas Rangers team because, as you know, they've been in the middle of the pack and back for quite a while. So, And they also live in the shadow of the Astros. And the Astros are kind of bullies. They also cheat a lot. So... If I had a team in Texas, it would not be the Astros. May I just put that bluntly? But they play at Tampa. We all remember how Tampa started the season 14-0. and 0. Um, Then uh, at 3.30 this afternoon, Blue Jays will be playing the Twins in Minnesota. And then tonight, you got the Marlins and the Phillies. Now, that game is significant in the National League because the winner of that one will play the Atlanta Braves in the second round of the playoffs. The Atlanta Braves, percentage-wise, baseball, knowledge heads, a whole deal, they're picking the Braves to win it all. And while I would, too, still scares me. And here's why. Um, if you're a really 
big-time Atlanta Braves fan, you'll know this already. But Atlanta has had some issues here down the stretch. They played about 500. Now, part of that is because you kind of let off the gas and you give players time off. We understand that. But Max Freed is doubtful. We don't know his situation as far as his health is concerned. And uh, he is an ace, uh, along with Spencer Strider, who's really, he's become the Atlanta Braves ace. But then you got uh, Charlie Morton, who is out for the first series. Uh, that is a dedicated, experienced postseason starter. That's a problem. And the injury bug has uh, struck the bullpen. So, and we all know, you know this, Lars. Um, you can have all the home runs and home run hitters in the offense. And we ain't going to postseason. What wins it? It's pitching. Uh, pitching, yep. Pitching, pitching, pitching. Absolutely. So, in the National League, let's just keep it there. If, uh, if who would, would you for the Braves? If you're the manager of the Braves, who would you least like to face, either in this uh, next round or in the uh, championship series? It's an easy answer. I don't want to face the Phillies, uh, and they they're playing the Marlins. Um, and I think the Braves could have their way pretty much with the Marlins. The Phillies are unpredictable, as we found out last year in postseason. And although it's a great series, and in the last 25, 30 years, it has grown even more so, the Dodgers are a tough nut now. So I would rather, I would want to avoid the Phillies and the Dodgers. But anyway, Atlanta is the highest odds on. Then below that, the Dodgers. Then you go to the American League with Baltimore, which Orioles is just one of the best stories we've had in baseball in a long time. That is a farm system built team. And they got a big time player from Alabama on that team. I believe it's Hunter Gunnerson. Um, and then you got the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, who, as I mentioned, started the season in a blaze. So there you have a little baseball update. When we get back, Oh, where are we going, Lars? Uh, you want to talk some TV ratings? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Last let's, night, let's, let's, talk, let's, let's talk coaching salaries. Coaching salaries. Coaching right. salaries. Maybe we can do that. We know who Top Dog Big Cheese is, or at least he was yesterday. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Catch Christian and Corey Miller every weekday here on Tide 100.9. Yes, they talking Tuesday on the Miller's Edge. We'll break down AM versus the Tide. Nick Saban versus another assistant. We'll take your phone calls. We'll give you keys to the game tomorrow on a talking Tuesday on the Miller's Edge on the Tide. Tune in 11 to noon to hear Christian and Corey Miller break down everything from college to the pros on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama sports. Yeah! Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A very warm afternoon. The sky mostly sunny, the high at 89. Clear tonight, the low 61. And the weather stays warm and dry tomorrow and Thursday. A good supply of sunshine both days. Highs between 86 and 89 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 83 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Man, the college football coaches make a whole lot of money, and I'm assuming that Lars is bringing this up. Uh, actually, because it's really a good topic, even in February. But there is a large article on USA Today. Is that the one you're looking at? 
Uh, yeah, USA Today does this, uh, uh, an annual, um, they come out with this uh, database of salaries for Division One head coaches, and uh, no surprise here, uh, this is pretty much confirmation of what we already knew, that the highest paid coach in college football is Nick Saban with a uh, annual compensation figure of $11.4 million. Um, and it's just kind of interesting to go down the list. Uh, you got a number uh, next on the list is uh, Dabo Sweeney at 10.88 million, Kirby Smart at 10.7 million, Ryan Day at 10.27 million, and then you got Mel Tucker who was fired uh, late last month. Uh, he earned uh, uh, 10.01 million, and uh, so. Uh, Mel Tucker has done quite well for himself, uh, even though he's out of a job. And uh, Hugh Freeze is set to make $6.5 million uh, this year, which ranks him 20th overall. And, um, you know, I, it, it is important to note, though, that there are a few, uh, a few schools that do not have to comply with public record requests, uh, FOIA, uh, as it's known in journalism world. Um, and those schools include USC, so that's Lincoln Riley, uh, Marcus Freeman, who's at Duke, and Miami, uh, Mario Cristobal. So I, I, I would, I would think... Oh, excuse me. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yep, I, I misspoke. Um, and, and I would think that Lincoln Riley is really close to Saban, but uh, we don't know because... says he's making yep. 10 I just did one report that I just had from Google. Yeah. So okay. So then, uh, yeah. All right. So yeah. So then he's he's in the neighborhood, but he's not uh, not there. And I, I don't know if there's anything in, in in Nick Saban's contract that says he has to be the highest paid coach, but he is right now, and uh, I think deservedly so. Lars, have you ever heard? I just thought of this question. So okay, I'll, I'll let you know that up front because I don't have an answer worth discussion. Have you ever heard of a college football coach taking a pay cut as opposed to being fired or worse? Or Never. Never. Uh-uh. Have you? No. I've never I've never heard of an NFL coach taking a pay cut. I'd take a pay cut and keep my job. Uh, unless I had another one. Um, but I don't think I've ever heard of any coach ever in the history of the world taking a pay cut. Yeah. I mean, just because... Yeah, um, no, I, I haven't either. That's, but that's an interesting, interesting thought, though. Like you know, uh, well, uh, Mel Tucker is uh, radioactive right now. Nobody's going to touch him. But uh, if you're somebody like Dabo Sweeney, right? Uh, the program has clearly fallen off a little bit, and he is the second highest paid coach in the United States at ten point eight eight million annually. They asked Dabo to take a, a, a pay cut of uh, one mil a year. Think he'd do it? I don't know. Uh, you know, he might, but that would get so much publicity. That would be all anything talked about. Yeah. But you know, so, the most the most interesting number when it comes to Clemson's head coach, Pelham, Alabama's own Dabo Sweeney, is zero. And that's how many players he's acquired through the transfer pool. Yep. He's got to uh, get that's with the times. It's biting, him. it's biting him on the back. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Keep and succumbed to NIL and all yes. different things we have to deal with. Is, is, it, it, you know, hey, if you can't adapt and evolve, just like in our industry, right? In journalism, uh, if you can't adapt and evolve with uh, the trends of the time, you're going to become a dinosaur. And we know what happened to the dinosaurs. Yeah, but it took a while. And then they turned into oil. So they were still productive afterwards. All right. Well, Wait, dinosaurs turned into oil? I don't know. You got <laughs> throwing, throwing stuff out there. It's Tuesday. Just moving along. Hey, next hour, we got the one and only Tim Brando. Let's also talk some uh, Talladega Racing and NASCAR. President Brian Crichton will be joining us at 145. So we got a full show, a full next hour, too. This is Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. Join Tide. It's the Tide 100.9 30K Workday Payday. Win cash every weekday, 8 to 5. Here's this hour's cash code 277. Again, that's 277. The code is 277. Enter that code now on the Tide 100.9 app. Click on the 30K Payday button and enter the code for a chance to win $30,000. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Well, um, she waited up for me to get home, so that was a good thing. Uh, but... Uh, it, it was it was it was one of the first games she's missed um and didn't go to since we've been here i think it is the first game actually and um so you know she says she can see what's happened a lot better on tv so i got coached up quite a bit um when i got home two more to start the back that's nick saban post game start while talking about miss terry that actually was kind of a follow-up as uh, Nick admitted that Miss Terry said, turn them loose, turn them loose, and he did. And uh, Nick got very vocal on the sidelines and a few players, and it pumped him up. But first of all, I, I never knew she'd not missed a game. What am I trying to say here? Uh, Miss Terry missed a football game from being there live. I've never heard of that again. And I'll say one thing immediately. Fans started saying, oh, that's a sign that he's going to retire. She's not going to the game. You know what it's a sign of? And I don't know this for a fact, but I'll make a very educated guess. Grandchildren. There's your answer. <laughs> Has nothing to do with retirement. Has nothing to do with that. The kids went. She stayed with the grandparents. What do you bet that's it? She stayed with the grandkids. Yeah. And, um, you know, look, it was a late game. It was a late game. Uh, the Crimson Tide, they didn't get back to Tuscaloosa until about 2 a.m. So, you know, uh, especially, you know, if you got grandkids the next morning or that night or, you know, whatever, or you just don't feel like going. Yeah. And, uh, and I understand, you know, it, it is always really sweet. Um, and again, I've uh, witnessed this a million times, it feels like, but uh, this is an exaggeration. But Miss Terry waits at the tunnel uh, after every game and uh, win, lose, no matter what happens. Uh, Nick Saban, when he uh, jogs off the field, you know, surrounded by the troopers, 
he always goes to Miss Terry and a hug and a kiss and then to the locker room. I mean, it's like clockwork every single time. And then, you know, I've been, you know, fortunate enough to be, you know, talking with Miss Terry or standing next to her or whatever. And uh, you you see this little scene, uh, you know, uh, unfold. And it makes you realize, like, we all know this, but, but, you know, actions always speak louder, right? That they, they really love each other. And, and, like, and they're a true team. And we've talked a lot about Miss Terry, and I've, I've written about her, and she, she is the matriarch of the entire program. Like, I, she is, uh, like, she's the closer, almost, when it comes to recruiting. Because she's the one that will look parents in the eye and say, I'll be here for your child. Anything, I'm here for your child. And, uh, you know, she's just, she is such an asset. She is so, uh, asset to the entire program. Uh, she's so elegant. Uh, she's uh, so sophisticated. Um, you know, she really knows how to throw a great, uh, party. I mean, Matt, she's, I just can't say enough good things about her. And she's always been just so generous with her time, uh, with me. Keeps old Nick in line too. Um, because he's likely been told to tone it down a few times too. <laughs> but anyway, it is really a true success marriage story. Um, it, it will continue. And it kind of helps when you get a 17.8 beautiful home in, um, in Jupiter, Florida. But you know what? She's earned more of it than he has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and what she does sort of behind the scenes, too, with uh, Nick's kids and Habitat for Humanity. And, uh, you know, she is uh, so involved in the community. Um, really, she, she's a model. She is a model. I mean, she's the thing is, when you are the wife of the Alabama coach, it's almost a you are elevated to, you know, first lady kind of status, right? And uh, and I think uh, Bear Bryant's wife handled that very, very well. Uh, yeah. It, um, she really stayed I, back away it, from the scene a lot. But yeah, so, yeah, so I never, Matt, I obviously never met Mary Harmon, but are there parallels to be drawn between her and Miss Terry? And, and also, what, what was your interaction or uh, you know did you have any interaction with uh, Mary Harmon no, I didn't and and very few members of the media did uh, very few fans did to my knowledge but I think the biggest parallel is that Nick Saban mentions Miss Terry often and coach Bryant would mention Mary Harmon and, and how she was his backbone too and he would occasionally tell the story about uh, how they met and um, you know, became life mates. Um, so I, I think their reference to their wives' strength is probably one parallel. And and Mary Harmon was probably doing a lot of things behind the scenes, and we just didn't know about it. Um, there was uh, far less media avenues than there are now. Um, but uh, they both had marriages that were just as strong as some of the Alabama football teams we've seen. Do you know, I, I, I know we've discussed this, but uh, and I know most of our listeners will know this, but uh, what movie did Nick Saban take Miss Terry to on their first date when they were in, I believe, eighth grade? Uh, Gone with the Wind? 
No, I'm just kidding. Um, Boom. You got it. Was it? Yeah. Well done. You ever seen it? Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, in, in the book, the book is so beautiful. Oh, my gosh. It is just, uh, it is obviously, it, it stood the test of time. And, and it, the, the book is just incredible. And the, the movie, uh, Clark Gable, gosh, dude, it, it, yes, I love that movie. It's, uh, my parents took me to that movie when I was relatively young and was really more interested in baseball practice than any movie like that. That movie had an intermission. It was very long. Wasn't it, it kind of kept, kept the attention of an eight-year-old? You know, wasn't it kind of like the first blockbuster, huge movie to come out of Hollywood? I think so. And somebody will call in and correct me. But as brilliant as that movie was, it didn't win Picture of the Year. A film called How Green Was My Valley. I think I, you know what? I think I learned this in film class at the University of Alabama. But I'm going to have to look that up, and I'll do that while we call and talk to Joseph. Joseph, you are on Big Noon Sports. How y'all got to do it, man? Great. Okay. Uh, this week with Texas a and we get the big game. I, it's probably one of the biggest for Alabama this year, in my opinion. Uh, I say this. Uh, First of all, I'm going to say that Taylor Miro is the guy for the job this year. There's no doubt in my mind that he's the best guy for the job. That being said, Jalen Miro is not as good as Tua. He's not as good as Brock. Look off a of safety like Tua can. He can't look off different defenders and make just make throws just like they can. I mean, they they just done it so natural. And the people was like, people would say. Well, I mean, they, no, Tua was doing this as a freshman. He came into the National Championship as a freshman and was making those throws. He was looking out for safety his freshman year and, and made that throw to Devontae Smith. But I don't think Miro's that type of guy. I don't think he's – I don't I don't think he's going to be that good, to be honest with you. He, he wins some games, but he won't be as good as Tua, Mac, or Bryce. What do you expect, Joseph? I mean, look at what two is now. I mean, come on, man. You expect every Alabama quarterback to be like Tua or Bryce? That's totally unreasonable. Do you expect what every about- Alabama running back to be Derrick Henry? Every linebacker to be Will Anderson? I mean, uh, uh, Joseph, you're a good caller, and from what I know, you're a good guy, and I appreciate that. But you, you kind of need a little dose of reality when you're comparing Jalen to Tua. I mean, look what Tua's on his way to taking the Dolphins to the Super Bowl. So, I think we need to back off in the comparison to the last four quarterbacks. Well, I mean, Mac Jones, he's not even a Mac Jones. Uh, I mean, Jalen Burrow's not. I mean, Mac Jones is, uh, did a lot better stuff than him his first start. There you go with the comparisons again. How many, how many first-round quarterbacks did Alabama have before uh, Mac Jones? How long has Alabama been playing football? Oh, hardly none, I'll be honest with you. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We've been spoiled here, right? And uh, you just can't expect that uh, that line to keep going, especially, man, you, you look at Jalen Hurts, uh, what, the third highest paid player in the NFL, uh, got to the Super Bowl last year, nearly won it, had a great game in the Super Bowl. Tua, he's playing at a level right now, and I know that the Dolphins lost this last weekend at Buffalo. Um but he's playing at a, a a level that we haven't seen in a long time, and it, it, I know Mac Jones also not not the best weekend, but um, you just can't expect that right uh, going forward, Matt. And I, I know we, we need to break because we got to get to yeah. Tim Brando. Brando will put us all straight, or at least he will try. Hey, you're listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing. We got to get to break, and then we'll get to Brando Fox Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Very warm afternoon. The sky mostly sunny, the high at 89. Clear tonight, the low 61. And the weather stays warm and dry tomorrow and Thursday. A good supply of sunshine both days. Highs between 86 and 89 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 84 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More big noon sports coming up. Uh, that guy's right. He's coming at you right now. I have to make a correction here in my cinema memory. Gone with the Wind did win the Picture of the Year from the Academy in 1939. I was talking about how green was my valley. That was 41, and it was a surprise winner over Citizen Kane. Now, as we bring Tim Brando in, he's going, hey, what am I calling? A, a film critic movie? Uh, radio station? Whatever the case. <laughs> Tim, the reason is because Lars asked the question on Miss Terry and Nick Saban's first date. What did they go see? It was Gone with the Wind. Now, I'll leave you an actual question here before long, Tim. Do you well, know... Well, may I, may I throw something, may I throw something out along? Well, my wife is named Terry. And and on occasion, not always, but on occasion, I do refer to her as Miss Terry, which I guess is uh, yet another example that, like Nick, I'm of the same generation. But I'm also, and we are also, the two of us, are going to be celebrating 45 years of marriage on Saturday. And uh, that 45th awesome. anniversary, by the way, will be celebrated by... My being thousands of miles away in Laramie, Wyoming, while she's at Chateau Brando. <laughs> so, some things never change, but we'll, you know, we'll take care of it. It's not like we don't have plenty of time to spend together in the spring and summer, you others. But uh, as is typically the case, uh, we'll be, we'll, we'll not be together on the actual day itself. But our, uh, our youngest daughter, Tara, who is uh, an old Miss grad and is um, married to a young man that is a plastic surgeon and is uh, in his uh, fifth year of residency at UMC in Jackson. Uh, she is named Tara uh, because of my really? wife's love of the movie Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. And, uh, and her, 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 I mean, she and my daughter absolutely love uh, the role of Tara, of course, that was played. Uh, and that was uh, always her favorite movie. So as a kid growing up, so Gone with okay. the Wind, okay, has a is a very strong place in the Brando 
a household without question. I'm glad I asked. You know, I didn't think I was going to go down this road, Tim, but I got to ask. What's the key to long-term marital bliss? And really, I'm asking for myself more than uh, anything else. Well, in our case, uh, it was pretty much uh, a known factor because I knew what I wanted to do for my, you know, for a living from the time I was about six or seven years old. And that meant... um, Anybody that was going to be married to me would have to be a, a you know, self-starting, motivated, independent woman, <laughs> which which my wife is. And uh, I think that the time that we spent away from one another has been a catalyst for the longevity of our marriage. Um, I, I, I think that uh, we've always had, uh, in fact, she, she jokes sometimes to people, they'll say, Wow, 45 years, and she'll say, yeah, but we've probably only actually been under the same roof 28 years, 8 months. (laughs) 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 Because if you add up all the time away, I mean, I used to work around the calendar. There was a period in the mid-90s when I was, after I had left ESPN and I went to Turner, when I was working um, Jefferson Pilots, SEC, early window game that everyone uh, remembers uh, there in, in Alabama uh, and especially throughout the SEC. Before I went to CBS, I was doing those games for a period of about three years. And during that time, I did the NBA. I did the Hawks. I did like 62 games a year, 62 of their 82. I did about 50 of the Braves games with Ernie Johnson Sr., Ernie Jr.'s dad. The games that were on Sports South that weren't on CBS, I was the, the, the broadcast partner and sidekick of Ernie Sr. And you add that to the college basketball uh, games that I did in both the ACC and the SEC, I was barely home at all those three years. Um, I mean, I was literally coming into the laundry. But, but that helped get me uh, the attention necessary to get to CBS and spend 18 years there. But if you added it all up, I probably averaged uh, through the – nearly 40 years that I've been doing this. I, I started in 85 when I was at ESPN. And for a couple of years, even before that, I was doing games for Raycom and Jefferson Pilot. And, of course, LSU with their Tiger Vision. So if you added it up from 85, though, when I went to ESPN and then all the way through the other stops, Turner, uh, CBS, and now Fox, I, I, I probably have averaged being gone for 70 events a year maybe 75, and you add two more days to travel out and to travel back, and then you do the math. And, uh, you know, I, I've been, I've, I've probably spent eh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 55% of my time at home and about 45% of my time on the road throughout the entire one, marriage. One so of the separation, things I... separation on purpose can make for a nice, long, and enduring marriage. <laughs> but you've got to have a Terry. You, you've got yeah, to have a yeah, Miss right. Terry. And one of yeah. the things that I always admired about you, Tim, is that you never moved to Bristol. You never moved to Atlanta because the airport's there. You never moved to New York City. You stayed right there in Shreveport. Why? Well, well, I actually did move to Bristol because that was a career move I had to make okay. when I left that Rouge. So in that period when we started game day in 1987, Matt, uh, I moved up there about the same week John Saunders did from Baltimore. 
And I, I did Sports Center during that period for about three years. Between 87 and, in fact, those were the only years you didn't see me doing uh, anything for uh, Jefferson Pilot and Raycom because I was an exclusive staffer at ESPN. But when I renegotiated the contract uh, after three years there in 1990, that's when I moved home. And uh, that was a strong commitment that I made at the time. And my mentor, Kurt Gowdy, told me uh, at that time, he said, you need to, you know, Tim, this is, if you get this deal and they allow you to move back home, then you're sending a message to the entire business that this is a guy that wants to be uh, a, a long-term guy in the business, but is not going to uh, jeopardize his 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 uh, personal life for his professional life. And I did do that. Uh, and I never moved to Atlanta when I went to Turner. I never moved to New York when I went to CBS. Uh, nor did I go to L.A. where Fox is located, and I was never going to do that. I um, I put my wife where she would be most comfortable, and the reason we didn't go back to Baton Rouge was because her mother was still alive and not in the best of health, and her mother was here in Shreveport, so she wanted to be with her mom as much as she could, and and uh, you know that that was what I did. And Gowdy's point was, uh, Kurt's point was, Tim, put your wife uh, where she's happy at home because she's the one that's really going to live there and the more successful you become the more you're going to be gone and she needs to be happy when you're gone so do that for her and uh it'll pay dividends and and it did if we had stayed in connecticut i'm here to tell you we would have never made it because the lifestyle up there and you know not so much the, the the uh the job was great and our friends were great people that we worked with but we're southerners and we wanted to have friends that had nothing to do with the television business we wanted to have a social life uh, in a neighborhood where we you know we felt comfortable and and people that didn't know or care that i did this for a living uh, could be friends of ours and uh that's just the kind of the, the lifestyle that i think most people born in the south have and in the northeast we just didn't have that, and and um, and I say she she wasn't happy there, but I wasn't either, you know. And so when the contract came up, uh, I was able to go to my bosses there at the time and say, "Look, you know, my wife and I, we're just not going to make it. She can't stand it." And the truth of the matter was, I I couldn't stand it either. I didn't like living there any more than she did, but I used her. Uh, you know, is my means to be able to get a, a new contract, stay with them as a company, but not have to live up there. Tim, I was uh, talking to the late, great Jack Buck. Um, and man, uh-huh. <laughs> what a, what an announcer. But I asked him the yeah. same thing, not, not about moving. I just said, what advice would you give to a young broadcaster? At the time, I was fairly young, not that young. He gave yeah. me a two-word answer be nice yeah and there's a lot absolutely. of there's a lot of truth to that and it does you can back me up does that spell jack buck yeah it does that and just flat out funny i mean he was a funny guy <laughs> and, and I, I knew jack obviously a long time before i knew his son joe uh and i i could say in the time that i was with joe uh, when he was with us at fox i i saw him a few times at seminars and on the road on occasion, but never, you know, a lot. But Joe's uh, 
persona is very similar to his dad's, and I think it's uh, served him well uh, in his career. His dad, though, was absolutely an incredible, uh, incredibly funny guy. You know, I've been told by some people that see me in public speaking uh, engagements in Alabama and a few other places, oh, Tim, we just love you. You're so funny. And I'd like to think I'm a good storyteller, but Jack Buck would have you bending over laughing. Uh, I mean, as an MC in St. Louis, no one wanted to be a keynote speaker when Jack Buck was the MC because he was so <laughs> funny. I mean, he was that good. And uh, Gowdy, who, by the way, as I said, was my mentor, and I'm about to go to his alma mater and the Siva State Park. It's named after him outside Laramie, Wyoming this week because we've got the fly in the ointment championship of the regular season on Saturday night on Fox. Spencer and I have uh, Wyoming hosting uh, undefeated Fresno State, and Fresno State, to me, is capable of being a top 10 team and certainly could be this year's Tulane as the best, uh, you know, uh, group of five team in the country. And so I'm thrilled to be going up to Kurt's uh, place because from the time I met him in 1982 until the time he died, years and years later, he counseled me and, and, and really took me under his wing. But Kurt would tell you in a heartbeat that Jack Buck was one of the funniest men he ever knew. And, and um, he, I mean, he just was one... I could tell you stories about uh, going to the bathroom at Bush Stadium with uh, Ernie Sr. And we had just get, gotten our rings, uh, our World Series rings in 1996. And, and some of the lines that Jack Buck had for us as we were going up <laughs> to the public toilet as he was checking out our rings, it was hilarious. I mean, I just, you, can, you can just visualize what he might be saying, yep. you know. Uh, looking over... At the Force One convenience, as though he's checking you out and saying, "Oh, nice ring." Nice ring. That's great. <laughs> hey, Tim, that is a great story. Tim, when we get back, let's talk a little football. Although I've really enjoyed this, we'll continue yeah, with Tim Brando, Fox you Sports bet. on Big Noon Sports. Built to win. By Bama. The Crimson Tide play here. Join us Saturday as the Crimson Tide take on Texas AM at Kyle Field. Our coverage begins at 11:30 on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner too. It's back. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Walter. Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker 
who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Our producer extraordinaire is Justin Jones, and our special guest is Tim Brando. Tim, before we get into uh, talking about Alabama, uh, uh-huh. from a big picture perspective, we're almost uh, a little bit more, I think, than a third of the way through the season. A couple takeaways, biggest surprises, biggest disappointments, uh, just the, the floor is yours. Well, the number one story remains. Colorado and Deion Sanders, despite the two losses uh, most recently, and, and especially I think the USC game, which which really tells you how uh, you know how how this program that Deion built is um, is revitalized. I mean, they were on the precipice of a second straight blowout loss, and they rallied and made USC's defense, which appeared to be improved. Uh, I had had them twice. Uh, granted, a, you know, they outmanned Stanford. I thought Arizona State was a more talented defensive team, but but even Arizona State had some success against them offensively uh, in the game we had a couple of weeks ago out in the desert. But I, I thought that USC would handle uh, Colorado similarly to the way Oregon did, and they didn't. Uh, so they exposed USC's defense for not being ready for prime time, for not being ready to be a a team that's, in my opinion, a legitimate contender for uh, the college football playoff. USC won the game, but I think that their image took a serious hit in terms of just how viable uh, a team they are to win it all. And Caleb Williams came back to win it all. I don't think they can do that uh, with that defense in in the current shape that it's in. And they don't have Travis Hunter. Uh, and they're going to get him back eventually. And to do that without him, I thought, sold uh, volumes. And there's an article, in fact, uh, a new one just posted a short time ago at foxnews.com. Uh, another writer took uh, some of what I said yesterday on Outkick about uh, Dion's success and how uh, today's uh, media being uh, opinion-based almost exclusively now in sports opinion base has totally screwed up totally screwed up 
the impact and the influence of what Sanders and and uh, and Colorado have done. They have, rather than seeing what's historically happening to change the the, the landscape of college football through uh, Deion Sanders' approach uh, using the transfer portal exclusively, they have almost forgotten that and decided to further polarize college football, much as the country has been polarized politically, by saying they're Black America's team. That is uh, appealing to the lowest, I mean the lowest, common denominator. Uh, there's so much more to this story and so much more substance to what Dion's done for that to be sort of brushed aside so that we can uh, uh, pontificate uh, a political propaganda like uh, calling it a black America's team is just a joke, an absolute joke. And at some point, somebody in the media has got to stand up and say it. And so I'm that guy, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get on the mountaintop and cry about it uh, as much as, uh, as loud as I can. I'll cry out that our media is screwing it up, and it's wrong. Uh, beyond that story, uh, which, which I still think is the top story of the season to this point, uh, the Pac-12 is the best conference in America. Uh, in a year when they are dying, literally uh, a a, a three-month death march through uh, Thanksgiving, they're the best conference in America, top to bottom. Uh, And I'm not even getting much pushback from the most ardent of SEC fans that that's not, in fact, the case, Uh, which should tell you that real, you know, football fans know what they're seeing. And uh, the league has the best quarterback. It has some teams that are really looking like they're complete. Uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, Urban Meyer pointed out last week, and I agree with him, there was a time when you looked at the Pac-12 and you said, okay, they got really good quarterbacks, really good skilled people, but the line of scrimmage, those guys are getting blown up. When they play against teams from the SEC or teams from the Big Ten, uh, they're going to get rooted out because they don't have anyone that can pass protect or run block. That's not the case now. Uh, if you watched uh, Oregon State last week against Utah, those are two tough, top-notch defenses, uh, particularly against the run, and they threw up a, a rock fight, you know, for three and a half hours that Spencer and I had. Uh, the game was not uh, aesthetically that much fun to watch for at least the first two and a half quarters, but the defenses really were the difference in the game. It wasn't just about uh, quarterbacks or big plays being made by, by skilled position players. And then when you take uh, into account all the depth of talent uh, at places like Oregon with Bo Nix doing what he's doing, and he's a legitimate Heisman candidate, uh, to go along with uh, Lee Angelale, who is getting a second uh, opportunity after leaving Clemson. His, he's, he's been a little bit slower to come around, but with the defense and with his ability to run the football, he's getting a, a, a really good time to showcase himself. And even the teams with a loss, like UCLA, he's got a brand-new quarterback, but a kid that's a phenom, Dante Moore, he was exposed in the Utah game, but that kid's great. Uh, they're so good uh, that I'm going to see them again next week. Spencer and I are going to do two games. We're going to see West Virginia and Houston on Thursday night next week, and then we're going to fly from Houston out to uh, Corvallis again to see uh, Chip Kelly's Bruins. Uh, of UCLA play Oregon State. So all those teams are alive. 
uh, the teams with, with one loss even uh, that are not undefeated, the ones that aren't ranked in the top ten, are still very much alive uh, to win that league. And to, uh, They may cannibalize at the end of the year, and they may not get a team uh, in the Final Four of college football because they do cannibalize each other. But right now, top to bottom, they're the best, best league. Most disappointment, I think, probably would have to be, uh, without question, teams like Clemson, like LSU, that we all thought would be vying for a position to be in the college football playoffs and aren't. And uh, I would lump Alabama in there had they lost one other game, and they almost did. So they're fortunate to be a team with one loss, or they could be called one of the more disappointing teams. The SEC in general uh, has been uh, disappointing. Uh, I don't even think Georgia is worthy of being number one. Uh, If they weren't the two-time defending champion, they wouldn't be number one. They wouldn't be higher than sixth or seventh if they weren't the two-time defending champions. They just took on an Auburn team that I think we all know is still on the learning curve and is very limited offensively and almost lost. And if they didn't have a tight end, they wouldn't have a playmaker. They certainly don't seem to have one at wide out. Carson Beck is not as good as the quarterback that was an original walk-on that led them to two titles. Uh, they could get exposed uh, very quickly, sooner than Georgia fans would uh, would like to think. Uh, and I think the Big 12 has also been uh, disappointing. I thought TCU would be better. I thought K-State uh, would be better. I thought Baylor uh, would be better. Now, they're they're waiting in the wings to take on half of those teams leaving the, the Pac-12, so happiness is in their future. But other Texas and maybe OU, we'll find out more this week with the Red River rivalry weekend in front of us, which is more of a celebration weekend for the SEC than it is a goodbye for the Big 12. Um, it's interesting. I think the Big 12 outlook is bright for the future, despite the fact their two best teams are, are headed to the SEC. But I think in a lot of ways, uh, that, that really summarizes where college football is now, that uh, we're in such transition that the, the two teams that are undefeated in the Big 12 uh, are going to be really playing essentially an SEC game on Fox this weekend. Tim, it's always a pleasure, other than listening and watching you on television on uh, Thursdays and Saturdays. <laughs> How, do, do you do a lot of, I know you do a lot of Twitter. Tell everybody where they can follow you. Or excuse me, it's X. Brando on Twitter, on X. Yeah, and by the way, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with a parting shot. Alabama's in trouble, in my opinion, this weekend. They're in trouble at A&M. Believe that. I don't think you're the only one. I, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> in trouble. believe it or not, A&M's you got two. Got the athletes. two. A&M's got the athletes to win that game at home. Yep. They do. Yeah, they, they, and they certainly have them up front, and they got a great secondary, yep. too. Tim, have safe travels. Appreciate it. Thank you so you much, bet, Matt. Thanks, Lars. Good to be with All you. All right. Good stuff. You always get good stuff with Tim Brando. Same will be true for our next guest. He's the president of the Talladega Super Speedway. He will wrap up another Yellowwood 500 fantastic weekend when we continue on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. The Unified 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Very warm afternoon. The sky mostly sunny. The high at 89. Clear tonight. The low 61. And the
Weather stays warm and dry tomorrow and Thursday. A good supply of sunshine both days. Highs between 86 and 89 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. It's 86 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Big Noon Sports brought to you by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. And also Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. Well, we thank them and their organizations for their support of the show. By the way, if you're interested in supporting the show, we can always get your business some airtime. So you can um, get in touch with Todd 100.9 and they will direct you to us. And you can also uh, think our website is still rolling along at uh, bignoonsports.com and Twitter at big, just at Big Noon Sports. Okay, uh, still waiting to get in touch with uh, Talladega, and um, we will continue to try that as well. But uh, in the meantime, um, I flipped over and watched a little of Monday Night Football. <clears throat> I really like watching the Mannings. I just think they give a very interesting perspective. And uh, they were needed last night because that was a really bad game. Um, the Seahawks defeat the Giants 24-3. And I don't know, I got a pretty good memory. But um, I'm just not real sure that uh, the Big Apple has had two worst teams in the NFL in recent memory anyway. The Giants and the Jets are awful. Although the Jets at least put up their Dukes um, this past weekend. But uh, the NFL... As far as uh, big-name, big-time, undefeated teams, you got the Eagles and you got the 49ers, both in the NFC. The Eagles, of course, are, are led by Jalen Hurts. But uh, San Francisco and Philadelphia are both 4-0. Oh. Four games into the season, everybody has at least one loss, except for Philadelphia and the San Francisco 49ers. So uh, there are some quick notes from the NFL other than... Talking about Kelsey and the Swifties. Um, man, Justin, have you been keeping up? I mean, 
the NFL is growing leaps and bounds based on the popularity of a country music singer. Um, it's fantastic, isn't it? I think it is fantastic. As much as people think it's annoying, I, it's bringing new fans, new eyes to the game, and that's always good to grow the audience as well as the people that enjoy football. You know, when it first started and it was rumored that they were dating, you know, you could kind of see this coming. And I thought, man, Matt, you're really going to be annoyed by that. But to everyone's surprise, the guy that keeps kids off his front yard, I like it. I mean, I don't know that um, it's going to immediately go out and make me buy a Taylor Swift shirt or a CD or even a, even a Kelsey jersey. But they sell out of them. D did you hear this? I heard, and I don't even know where I pick stuff like uh, this up. I drive a lot, and I flip around and listen to different sports shows and news shows. But I heard that Taylor had on some kind of shorts. Are you walking with me on this? She had um, on some kind okay. of designer shorts. And I guess somebody looked it up online and said that they were $500 for a pair of shorts. I don't collectively, and my wardrobe is probably not worth $500. No, that's not true. I've got a couple of really, really nice suits. But shorts that cost $500 are for people like Taylor Swift. But the fans of Taylor Swift, Kansas City Chiefs, and Kelsey um, went out and bought them all. There are none left. So are you consumed by this situation enough, Justin, to go buy a $500 pair of shorts? I am, I'm not even close to being that consumed uh, with this situation. Um, that, man, that's just ridiculous. And I think the, the first game when all of this hype and drama started as well, I think Kelsey was wearing like this matching denim situation, I think, like a jacket, jeans, and they had these designs on them. And I think those also sold out. And I think they were worth like around $1,000 as a set. Um, I'll stick to my... My Target shorts, my flip-flops, <laughs> and a T-shirt. Uh, that's one of the benefits of working a lot of radio, um, as opposed to days in TV where you spend a little money on ties and coats. But just but the top anchored, half, right? Just the top yeah. half. <laughs> I, everybody laughs at this, but my last day at 13, I stood up because I was wearing a suit coat, great white shirt, you know, a, a really good-looking tie, shorts and flip-flops. Um, and that, back in that day, quite honestly, I am a really good perspirer. And those lights would get really, really hot back in those days. And so I, I, I did it for a couple of reasons, for comfort, and also did it just to try and stay cool so I didn't flop sweat. But, um, yeah, waist down, no problem. And you know what? I, I may be one of the few that's admitted it, but there's a lot of people doing that, even today. But today, the lights are room temperature, whatever it is. Uh, you don't have to worry about them creating heat. Back in the day, you did. Okay, Justin, leading out, never got your opinion. What would Justin Jones, as the czar of college football and basketball, do to stop fans from storming fields and courts? Uh, I think the only answer is more security and more fencing. Um, I think if you look at Bryant-Denny, 
they have the the fence that kind of goes around and those gates are very well um i guess guarded by uh security officials because uh, you and lars hit the nail on the head it's it is fun and exciting when you see it happen or if you're a part of it but the risk is so much greater for injuries for fans safety of coaches safety of players i i think you might just need to get more i don't know and and security personnel and what i say that but then matt we talked yesterday about the the one security guard that was doing his best to keep people off the field but to no success so um well and he kind of went overboard he was overwhelmed but there's no reason to elbow what looked like a co-ed kind of in the head kind of in the shoulder it sure as heck knocked her down i mean clearly he wasn't gonna stop the number of fans so i i I don't want to say at that point give up but you kind of have to well just uh i read somewhere where somebody said and it's just probably an x feed hey how about that i used x before i said twitter but now of course i said twitter anyway that when you fine the SEC fines, and they're going to fine Ole Miss $100,000. Would, uh, would it motivate teams not to do this if the fine went directly to the other team? You mean like if Ole Miss stormed yeah, the Ole field? Ole Miss now owns LSU $100,000. Yeah, I could see that being a difference maker because I know Tennessee wouldn't want to pay us a hundred thousand. I mean, they were asking no. for donations for their goalpost after the fact, so I'm sure they, they don't like the fine as it is now and they definitely wouldn't like it going directly to the other team. Our many thanks to Nick Kelly and to Tim Brando. We appreciate their contributions to the show. Matt, Lars, Justin will be back in 22 hours. Have a blessed day.